So now we're recording and it's live. Great job, Natalia. I just want to say getting this set up. I'm very impressed. Shout out to women. We don't need men. We did use a man to borrow this equipment, but we won't talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. No, we won't. I'm going to delete this out. <laughs> Let's cut that out. It's all women. Okay. So you're you're tuning in to this podcast. Welcome, welcome. Wh- Episode one of... One million. Le- oh. of, <laughs> of Let's, Let's Get, Get Haunted. Haunted. With your hosts, Nat Strawn and Alyssa Terry. Yeah. We're very excited to be here. Thank you for tuning in. I hope there's more than one listener out there who somehow gets a hold of this audio. I don't care. I'm just excited to hang out with Alyssa. <laughs> like the only way that I'm going to see you is if we have this podcast. So yeah. Well, let's do more episodes. So what can people expect from Let's Get Haunted? Well, what is this about? You and I have always been interested in the occult, the paranormal Mm-hmm. murder but there's so many murder podcasts out there that I feel like in order for us to be original but still be true to ourselves we should focus on the paranormal the paranormal and it should be said that we're not just interested in the occult like we can look at google images of crime scene photos yeah well you're a witch I I um you practice you're a practicing witch it's against my will I mean some people are just born with <laughs> an extra sense I don't know if right. you've seen the movie the Sixth Sense. Actually, you want to know something? I have not seen it. I know the ending already, and that's why I haven't seen it. Oh. Because I feel like the whole purpose of watching that movie is you don't know the ending. Wait, and You know the ending already, and you haven't seen it? Alyssa, you might be a medium. Oh, fuck. I didn't even think of that. Maybe I am a witch. Right. Let me take a sip of coffee and think about it. So, obviously, there's a difference between witches and mediums. But one of the great things about this podcast is that... Everything is interchangeable, <laughs> and let's get haunted could mean let's talk about murder, let's talk about witches, let's, let's talk get about, let's get drunk, let's get bad vibes, let's get haunted, right? Let's ruin our lives, get cursed, end up somewhere that we don't know how we got there, and now there's a ghost following us around for the rest of our lives. Right. Let's do it. Okay. Cool. So what we were thinking of, and we reserve the right to change the format of this podcast at any time for any reason. It could change names. We could change hosts. We could just ask for money in the middle of it, and and that's it. The ad could be for nudes. Right. It can be anything. For you to send us nudes. Yes. That would be preferential. Right. Um, But what we're thinking of starting doing is maybe... We change off every other episode and take turns telling each other a spooky story. That is real. It has to be real. Um, And maybe if we're feeling super ambitious, we could figure out some shorter episodes to put in between where we just talk about whatever we want. We want to be really community oriented. So we really want you guys to write in if you have like a spooky story or something that's happened to you or we're investigative journalists like Alyssa and I since the days of you know MySpace have known how to find shit out about people. All right. So (laughs) and things like there is not a fact that you tell us and it will not be researched thoroughly by whatever means we have through Alyssa and I, which are, is basically Google. Wikipedia. Right. Um. But, we're co- <laughs> but we're coming, yes, we're using public knowledge, but we're coming at it with years and years of, you know, uh, Bad vibes. <laughs> that, 
and bad vibes. So we have a unique skill of being able to sift through the bullshit and get right into what's really going on. And also on that note, if you guys want to interact with us online, um, we do have a Gmail address that we just set up. It's called Let's Get Haunted Pod at gmail.com pod like pod short for podcast and our twitter is going to be at let's get haunted oh my god that's so cute I know. and our instagram is going to be at let's get haunted oh my god oh my god we're going to be like super successful i can feel it you guys listen to our podcast <laughs> <laughs> i know i'm getting ahead of myself but i am a medium so that i do that i mean at the very least we're going to have a good time do you want to sit where i'm sitting you look uncomfortable um yeah. Yeah. Switch me. <laughs> I don't want to sit here. I don't like. Let me move my laptop. My story that I'm going to tell today is on my laptop. I actually spent a really long time researching this. Last night, I went to Starbucks. Let Ooh, me that's seats. bad vibes already. I know, bad vibes already. They're, you know, they're racist or whatever. And so it's already bad vibes. But um, I was trying to do homework and then also research this story and type it up. And this homeless, well, I assume he was homeless. I guess I shouldn't be presumptuous. Could have just been having a real dirty time in his life. But he (laughs) comes in and sits down. It's me and some random girl sitting at a table near the outlets. He comes in, rips his shirt open. It was a button shirt. Like like not a snap shirt, a button shirt. Rips it open. Care about the buttons? No. Rips it open. uh, Slams down a bottle of what I thought was soy sauce at the time. Turns out it was sesame seed oil, which is weirder in my opinion. Like, why did he have access to? It was organic as well. So he slams down this organic sesame seed oil onto the table. Then he slams down uh, a little jar of honey that he'd been carrying around, opens the jar of honey, smears it on his face. I am not making this up. This was very haunting. Okay, wait. I feel like you know something. Maybe he was protecting me from the bad vibes that this story was he, I'm about to tell was, is. Was this man attractive? No, he was very dirty. How tall is he? He's pretty tall. He's like, okay, like, well, okay. So, so, he, so Natalia's only requirement is that the person is taller than her. So, right. so like, so like, what are you know? What, what well, kinda? you know, I, I really dropped the ball. I should have gotten his number because despite possibly being homeless, he had two smartphones. Okay, he sounds honestly rich to me. He walks into a Starbucks, right? He starts wasting food products all over his body with two smartphones. Like, are you kidding me? This this person is a dream. Okay, but the very end of this story, after I stopped texting you about it last night, I still stayed there for a little bit longer because I thought, oh, surely he's gone by now and like is not going to come back. It's been three hours that he was doing his whole thing. Nope, comes back. Sits down at the table across from me because the girl is now gone. It's just me at the table. And pulls out some sort of... No, worse. Well, no, the dick would have been worse. He pulls out some type of white substance, puts it behind my laptop. So I'm like trying to not pay attention. I'm like trying to do my homework. And then I see his head go down underneath, like from behind my laptop. And so I like peer over my laptop. He's just doing a fucking line off the table at Starbucks. This guy is so rich and honestly interesting. <laughs> He's doing a line of Coke up. No, off the table it wasn't at Starbucks. Coke. Natalia, it was not Coke. He does this. He does this line. I'm like weirded out, looking How do you around. Know it wasn't Coke. Because as soon as he does the line, instead of being like more energetic, he falls asleep on the table. Not dead. Not dead. 
because I was like, is he dead? Should I call 911? Why is nobody like everyone's staring at me, but not helping me. I'm like, um, so I start packing my stuff up and he like, hears me packing my stuff up. And so he picks his head up and he's just staring at me. And then he's like, uh, I get real sad when I talk to widows. Oh my God. Alyssa, does this mean Steve is going to die? Oh my, don't even put that out into the universe. Take it back. Okay. Take it back. I do think this man knows something though. Like, I feel like he's trying to tell you something. I don't know what it means, but things like that don't just happen because like we live in Los Angeles and there's crazy people. Like it means something. Everything means something. Okay. But also Starbucks is now a hub for the homeless and drug addicted. Did you read that article that they're starting to install sharps containers in all of the bathrooms because so many people shoot up in there now in LA? Oh my God. I know. Look, I'm just like going in there and peeing. I don't even use the bathroom there. So what if we start going to Starbucks and go into the bathrooms and collect all these sharps and sell them on the black market. I mean, all we'd be selling is HIV and like hepatitis. Um, the government does this <laughs> all the time, spreads HIV. You're right. And yeah, yeah. Another, yeah, That's very what, spooky. Look, I'm just telling you, everything is connected. Illuminati confirmed. Do you think I can edit this and like put in like my music or should I leave the mental illness for my, <laughs> for my YouTube? Um, I don't know. Let's... Let's uh, let's give it a shot as unedited as possible. So no nut button? No nut button. Well, it depends. If you feel inspired during the story that I'm going to tell you, if you feel inspired to push the nut button, feel free. Okay. And then if people hate it, they'll tell us. What is that? What does that say? Nut. Oh, it literally just says nut. Nut. It's the nut button. It doesn't ever change. It just says nut in a Stephen Hawking voice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's the nut button. When you feel like something's nut worthy, you press it. But, well, it, but it also could mean to nut. I'm not sure what it means. I just like it, okay? <laughs> it gets the people going. It's provocative. I mean, that's accurate. Well, basically what I'm trying to say is I didn't finish typing this up last night because then the man was doing what I presume was fentanyl so uh, behind you're, my laptop. You're so, I don't know what that is, but you're so full of shit because you were on Twitter and you were like, oh, doing my homework in Starbucks. And I knew just whatever you tweeted after that was bullshit because I was like- It's not bullshit. Did like, you see the picture I took of his like, jar of fucking sesame? Your homework is is going online and writing up notes for your podcast. No, no, no. I was switching back and forth. I was doing the podcast when I got bored of my homework, then switching back to my homework. The homework was basically just we had to write two pages of what HR is like in our industry. So it was boring. Ugh. Yeah. I think that you're connected to the vein. So like you were talking like, let's get haunted. And then all of a sudden someone comes in ready to get haunted. And I right. didn't appreciate it. Yeah, you're right. I'm ready to get haunted. Let's get into okay. the story. Let's get into it. So I really hope you haven't heard this before. Probably not doubtful i know everything okay but well try me. i'm gonna say what the name of it is and you tell me if you've heard of it or not the diatlov pass incident is that english mm-hmm. diatlov the diatlov pass incident mm. have you heard of it i'm getting tingles but i have not heard of this and <laughs> in, in this body that i'm in right now has not heard but maybe in a past life because okay. i am getting tingles okay you might get you might get deja vu maybe your past ghost self has okay. heard of it okay so <clears throat> this story takes place between february 1st and february 2nd in 1959 in the northern ural mountains in russia when something mysterious happened to a group of hikers 
Oh my god, you wrote this? I wrote this. We need to copyright this. <laughs> I wrote this with the help of uh, Wikipedia, diatlovpass.com, and um, a YouTube channel called Bedtime Stories. So to set the scene here, this is Russia in the forest. It's February. It's probably cold as, as fuck. Yes, absolutely. Right. So also, so good idea to go with some exposition here. Let me ask you a question. What do you think was happening in 1959 in the Soviet Union? Oh my God, you're going to make me look stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Just say anything and you're probably right. Um, conflict. Yes. What else? Conflict. Uh, actually, there's a famous playwright. Chekhov was inspired during... See, I went to <laughs> theater all, school, yeah. so everything that I know is like going to be related back to like what artistic movement was going okay, on Okay, all right, fair. So like, yes, like the beatniks were happening here. We've got a lot of um, disorder and chaos happening. The communist revolution is in full swing, <laughs> right? I don't know. Okay, well, let me tell you what I wrote down. Oh, people were wearing bonnets? Yeah, I could tell absolutely. You all about the fashion. I could tell you all about pop culture of any time ever. I could tell you what the posters look like. You got people who are, you know, the Industrial Revolution has happened <laughs> already. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right. Let me tell you what I wrote down. You're right. All of those things I'm sure are right. I'm going to tell you what I wrote Sputnik? down. Sputnik? World War II had just ended a few years prior in 1945. The Cold War was still going on. The Cold War started 1947 and ended in 1991. So that was a period of geopolitical tension. So World War II had just ended. Right. And in 1959, the same year as this incident, on January 2nd, so just a couple weeks prior to this incident happening, the Soviet Union had successfully launched the Luna 1 satellite hey, I from the Sput Cosmodrome. I said Sputnik, which is like same library. Maybe not the same page, maybe not the same book, but same library. Yeah, probably. And Luna 1 became the first man-made object to escape the pull of Earth's gravity. And on January 4th, the same satellite that was already in the space at this time became the first man-made object to pass the moon on its way to solar orbit. On January 20th uh, of the same year, Soviet... Two people were having sex in the bush. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sorry. Okay. Um, Soviet <laughs> Foreign Minister Anastas Mikoyan returned to Moscow after a controversial 17-day tour of the United States and on January 27th, the 21st Congress of the Communist Party of the Soviet Union was opened in Moscow with communist leaders from 70 nations in attendance. For the first time ever, Western reporters were allowed to attend. Okay, so we're talking about a place that has been closed off from Western influence mm -hmm. for a good minute. And yeah. there's civil unrest happening. It's yeah. cold. Well, and it's cold. People want to People are poor. World War II just ended a um, decade prior. People are still recovering. Cold War, space race. Yeah. A lot of stuff's happening. People want to go hiking. It's their only form of entertainment. They're communists. They don't have much to do. Right. Okay. Wait, no, that's the opposite. They have to work all the time. They have... Look, they have to take that that sickle and that crescent, and they have the <laughs> crescent. They just they're holding a crescent roll, <laughs> <laughs> whatever that is. What is that thing called? I don't know. Right. So I want everyone to know that Alyssa literally wrote all this stuff down. So it, like, yeah, sickle cell anemia. Sickle cell anemia. All okay. Right. We're teaching so the people. We are. So now that we understand a little bit about the socio-political climate of Russia at the time, let's get some background specifically about this incident. Let's get haunted. Okay. In 1959, a group was formed for a skiing expedition across the northern Ural Mountains in Sverdlovsk Oblast, Soviet Union. 
Uh, Igor Dyatlov, a 23-year-old radio engineer student at the Earl Polytechnical Institute, was the leader. You're going to nut when you see his photo. um, Was the leader who assembled a group of nine others for the trip, most of whom were fellow students and peers at the university. So I'm going to name the members of the expedition. Very Russian. Igor Dyatlov. Yuri Doroshenko. Ludmila Dubinina. Yuri Alexeyevnikovanashenko. No, that's what it Not is. Not feeling that one. Okay. Alexander Kolovatevov. Zenaida Kolmagorova. Rustem Slobodin. Yes. <laughs> yeah, actually, this is very psychic of you to be attracted to him, but I'll tell Slobodin? you why in a little bit. Oh my god, he sounds like he's like a bad witch man. Yeah. Um, Nikolai Thibault, Simeon Zolotaryov, no, and Yuri Yudin, no. Okay, so like we said, Igor is the leader of the group, 23 years old, male radio engineering student. That is his photo. Oh my god. <laughs> For you guys that can't see him, his bones of his brows like stick out so much further than his face. Like he has, he just looks like somebody who like grew up in the mud, like ripped a tree out of the ground and made it his wife. I am in love with him. And um, maybe we can upload some of these to the Instagram page so people can see them. I don't know. Yeah, we'll think about that's it. that's a great idea. Oh, my God. That guy's hot, too. I know. Who wait. Hold on. Hold on. I got to tell you. So this is Yuri Doroshenko. He's 21-year-old male radio engineering student. You're going to love him. He scared away a giant bear from his group's campsite using a geology hammer. God. Dude, like he ran at the bear with a hammer and scared the bear away from the campsite. Honestly, like how Russian is that? First of all, just organizing anything is very hot. And then yeah. <laughs> people who go on expeditions. It's like, come on, come on. Yeah, I think he kind of looks like Steve a little bit like a nerdy, a nerdy white skinny boy with a big forehead. <sighs> OK, I don't like where this is going. <laughs> Okay, let me tell you about Ludmila Dubanina, because there's, so this is a group of 10. Okay. Two are female, eight are male. Mm. So Ludmila is a 20-year-old female, third-year student at the university, studying engineering and economics. She was the youngest in the group. She was athletic, strong, and an outspoken communist. Ooh. So this is what she looks like. Ooh, so this is a group of highly intelligent young people who are motivated, they're ambitious, and they know what they want, pretty much. Right. But she was there. So there are two women. Um, She was the least popular among the two women. Why is that relevant? Why is this relevant? I'll tell you why it's relevant as the story goes on. Okay. Okay. That's not what I want people to, like, a hundred years from now, I don't want people to be like, Natalia was less popular than Alyssa, (laughs) by the way, just so you guys know. Well, in every article I read, it's like, when they're describing the other girl, they're like, she was beautiful and everyone had a crush on her. And then they're like, oh, and then there was Ludmila, who was a, a staunch communist. I can already tell Ludmila is like going to haunt these people. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, next person, Yuri Krivonashenko, 23-year-old male, studied construction and hydraulics. He had already graduated by the time that he was on this expedition. He had worked at Chel- Binks, a f- secret nuclear facility oh my god yes and at the nuclear facility he experienced a disaster that became known as the kushtumkov accident when a plutonium plant experienced a radioactive leak and he was sent to clean it up so you're telling me this is spider-man 
could be. I'm not telling you that it's not Spider-Man. And he was known as a joker and liked to make his friends laugh. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I'm looking at his photo and he, this this man has some very prominent ears. And there's just so many mean things that I could say, like, off the bat. But but this was, we live in L.A. Right. But more I'm just He probably looks him, normal in other I'm places. I he got super hearing powers from that. Yes. Yeah. And can, like, climb on walls. The time before plastic surgery was a sketch time for everyone. And then we have Alexander Kolevatov. And as you can see, I got bored while I was writing about him. So all I put was 24-year-old male. Thank you for this riveting PowerPoint. PowerPoint, yeah. Okay, here's the hot girl. So this is Zaneda Kolmogrova, 22-year-old female. She was a fourth-year student at university, radio engineering major. On a previous expedition, she had been bitten by a viper, but but refused... Refused to lighten her load. She was unwilling to cause hardship to others. Rustem Slobodin, the one that you liked, is a 23-year-old male. He had just graduated from the institute that year. Both his parents were university professors in Asia, and he was born in Asia. So that's why they gave him an Asian name, even though he's Russian. Rustem is apparently an Asian name. Oh, and he's kind of hot. Yeah, he's super hot. All these guys look like they're in the Navy and, like, beat off to, like, pictures of, like... uh, postcards yes postcards of like drawings of women in bathing suits right yeah yeah (laughs) and then the other three i i i didn't write anything about two of these nikolai tebow Semyon zelatoryov didn't write anything about them yuri yudin the only thing notable about him that i could find is that he had a bunch of um pre-existing conditions health conditions and was still doing all of these like crazy expeditions yeah oh yeah (laughs) We were so strong together. (laughs) So Igor Dyatlov, the first guy we talked about, he assembled this group of nine other experienced ski hikers to go on a skiing expedition with him across the northern Ural Mountains in Russia. The group consisted of eight men and two women who were all certified grade two hikers. Completing this expedition would mean that all 10 of the members of the expedition would receive their grade three certification, which is the highest certification available in the Soviet Union at this time. And if they achieve their grade three certification, they can actually go on to teach. I wasn't super sure what they're allowed to teach. I guess like how to hike. So you're telling me hiking is a pyramid scheme? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) But um, in order to get the grade three certification, they have to traverse 190 miles in rough terrain for at least 16 days. They have to be in a tent for at least eight of those days. There were like a whole bunch of requirements. So it's like super hard to do. Um, and wow. the goal of the expedition was to reach the Otorten Mountain. Okay. So it's January 25th, 1959. The group arrives by train to the town of Ivdal. And then they took a truck from Ivdal to Vizhai. And this is the last inhabited settlement in the north of Russia. Oh, these people are crazy. I know. And they're in their 20s, like early 20s. So on January 27th, they begin their journey from Vizhai to Otorten Mountain. So the plan, as a reminder, is to hike from Vizhai to Otorten Mountain, then back to Vizhai. Um, Out and back. Yeah. Okay. So Dyatlov had agreed that he would send a telegram to their sports club as soon as the group returned to Vizhai. The group was expected to return around February 12th. Okay. So they're on their journey. And then... On January 28th, Yuri, the guy who had um, the rheumatism and congenital so, heart defect. On. Just let me get this straight. Mm-hmm. They're going to have no contact with anybody for correct. approximately two weeks. Yes, correct. Okay. It has to be at least 16 days in order for them to get their grade three certification. Okay. Yeah. 
So yeah, they're by themselves. It's just the 10 of them. All they have, they have one tent that they share. And, and they, they packed food or were they going to like yeah, hunt for food? Or? They packed food. So on January 28th, they are now um, one day into their journey. They get to an abandoned geological site. And Yuri um, Yudin, the guy that with all the health problems, he was studying geology. And so he's like super stoked. They're going around. They're like looking for geodes and stuff. And then he starts to feel really sick. And so he says to them, hey, like, I'm having all of this really bad joint pain. And he has rheumatism. Oh, my God. It's the crystals. Mm -hmm, maybe. So, or did he have a premonition? <gasps> we don't know. Felt it in his we bones. don't know yet. Yeah, literally, he felt it in his bones. He had joint pain. Yeah, he knew. And he was like, hey, I don't think I'm going to be able to do this journey because it's going to take, like, up, up to 20 days because they weren't sure. Like, minimum is 16. They weren't sure about the weather, how long it was going to take them. So he's like, hey, I'm super sad, but I'm going to have to turn around and go back. There's no way I can do this journey with you guys. I'm super bummed. And everyone's like, oh, no, Yuri, we love you. Like, don't. Bye, Felicia. Yeah. But he turns around and he goes back. So now there's only nine people. On January 31st, the group arrives at the edge of a highland area and begins to prepare for climbing. They stop. That guy is literally me. He, like, goes out one day, like, sees a bunch of rocks, takes some pictures, and he's like, you know what? Actually, no. Yeah. Actually, I'd rather go back. Yeah. Like, yeah. I saw my rocks. And, like, he probably like, got out on the trail and was thinking, like, wow, this is going to be really cool. I'm going to find myself. Like, I have all these health conditions. And, I, you know, they can't hold me down. And then he starts going. And he's like, dude, like, why do I care? Like, it's all just going to look like this. Yeah. Like, fuck this. Yeah. I would rather um, experience my rheumatism and congenital heart defect in the warmth. Right. He's probably like, I'm going to go back to this bar and, like, have a hot cup of beer or whatever mead <laughs> whatever they drink in russia yeah like uh vodka right vodka. isn't that what they drink yeah yeah i don't know what they do i don't know either anyways i relate to him yeah he's i mean he did the right thing and i'll tell you why shortly so january 31st the nine people that are left in this group arrive at the edge of a highland area and begin to prepare for climbing in a wooded valley they stop to store their excess food and equipment that would be used for the trip back because they're about to climb up, so they don't want excess weight, and they need these supplies on their journey back. Right. Okay. Makes sense. Yeah. Lighten the load. Right. So on February 1st, the group starts to hike through this pass, this like highland area, with the intention of getting to the opposite side to make camp for the night. However, a really bad snowstorm starts, and they have really low visibility, and they accidentally deviate from their path. And instead of going through this pass, they end up going sort of like up this mountain that okay. they're trying to go in between. Uh, and by the time they realize their mistake, it's already getting late. It's really low visibility. They don't want to lose the ground that they've already made. So Igor, the guy in charge of this expedition, is like, let's just make camp here. And do you want to guess what the name of this mountain is that they end up having to make their camp at for that the night? Mountain? Okay, no. Death Mountain? How did you... What? Is How did really you Death know? Mountain? Yes. Are you kidding me? Okay, it's Kolot... Sayakal Mountain, and it means dead mountain. Dude, I'm serious. Like, I just said Nut Mountain because I, like, I was going to say Death Mountain because I thought it was funny. Like, I, that's just what came to me. But I was like, no, 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 say Nut Mountain because it's funnier. I'm... You're psychic. I'm straight up psychic. And, like, me trying to be stupid is the only thing that gets in the yeah. way <laughs> of, like... Of you of manifesting. Right. Yeah. So that name, Kolot Sayakal was named by the Mansi tribe. And the Mansi tribe is like, I don't... Indigenous? Yeah. It's like, it's just a tribe. They're, they like don't intermingle with 
the city folk. Okay. Okay. They're nomadic. Yeah, they have their own language. So Dead Mountain, and they named it Dead Mountain supposedly because nothing grows on this mountain, but still you know, very creepy and ominous, on the right? Because it's cursed. So anyway, they have to stop and set up camp on the slope of Dead Mountain. They could have, instead of setting up camp there, they could have just walked downhill a mi- like a little less than a mile, and they would have been in a forested area that would have sheltered them from the elements. But um, Yuri Yudin, the guy that went back early, later when they're investigating an incident that happens that I'll tell you about, they ask him, like, why do you think they camped on this mountain instead of just going down? And he says, well, Igor, the guy in charge, he probably didn't want to lose the altitude that they had gained, or he decided to practice camping on a mountain slope because that would like add on an extra level of difficulty to help them get their grade three Mm. um, certification. Which, side note, I just want to say... I feel like a lot of this stuff, like, why why not just lie? Like, who? no one's out there with them making sure that they really, you know, do all the requirements to get their grade three certification. Because they actually give a shit. Yeah, like, they right. actually okay. want to prove to themselves that they can well, do it. Well, I'm American, and I feel like I would just fucking lie. Like, yeah, well, <laughs> look what happened. I cheated on math all throughout life, and, like, now I can't do simple division. <laughs> like, I was trying to figure out how I made, like, $400,000 last year, and I was like, this doesn't make sense. I don't really. <laughs> like how did I do this and then I realized that I had the complete wrong formula and it was everything was wrong okay yeah so you didn't make 400,000 last year no and I was so confused too I was like uh, I like kept redoing the number was a decimal wrong and you made 4,000 no I made I made like four thousand dollars last year yeah so a decimal was off is what you're telling me (laughs) see I didn't even have the correct language to explain that I was like what is this what is she talking about a decimal decimal. I just want to say a little side note here. Remember, the group was supposed to return to Viz High around February 12th to send a telegram to their sports club. Well, February 12th comes and goes, and no message is received from the group. Ooh, it's getting close to Valentine's Day. I know. The most haunted of all the holidays. <laughs> true. Um, nobody was immediately worried since weather conditions were so bad that a delay of about a week wouldn't be unusual to anyone. But eight days later, still nobody has heard anything from the hikers. So now on February, it's February 20th, the families of the hikers are getting really, really worried and they demand that the school send out a search party. Wait, so you, you skipped ahead. Basically all we know that's happened so far is right. they get to this, they get to this side of this dead mountain and they camped out there for the night. And that's right. We and know. we don't know anything else yet. All we know is that they still haven't come back. So can we, tr- can we trust this rheumatoid arthritis boy? Like he could have said that he came back at the beginning and wasn't part of it but he came back within the amount of days that it would have taken like he was seen in town and he like went oh is that archer yeah archer is haunted haunted. yeah Yeah, okay the families of these hikers demand that the school send out rescue groups and so the school is like okay you've got a point like these people have been gone for a really long time they're students at our university they're part of the sports club at our university like they're trying to get the certification through our university like you're right we should send out a search party so the first search parties don't even have any police or like government or like nothing it's just volunteer students and teachers and they're probably not even level one hikers six days later on february 26th one of the student volunteers named mikhail finds the hikers tent on dead mountain so this is now like what two weeks three weeks later Mm -hmm. they never moved from that spot the tent is still there okay i know are you getting chills yet they didn't pack up Mm -mm. or anything no oh i did just get chills yeah I know, me too. Okay, Mikhail finds the tent, and the tent is abandoned. 
and it's damaged. Later, he describes the tent saying, the tent was half torn down and covered with snow. It was empty and all of the group's belongings and shoes had been left behind. The search party... Did they get eaten? So, well, that's maybe. We don't know. The search party is baffled by the campsite. The tent has several slashing cut marks in the canvas, causing the search party to wonder if an animal had torn open the tent with the hikers inside, or even if another human had tried to cut through the tent to get the hikers and cause them harm. However, later, when fiber analysis is carried out on the tent, it will be determined that the slash marks had been made with a knife from the inside of the tent. So they were trying to get out of the tent. And let me show you what the tent looked like when they found it. Mm. So there's, yeah, there's a little bit of snow on it, but this is now like two or three weeks later. It had been snowing. Right. It makes sense that there's snow on top of it. They were trying to get out. They were trying to get out Ooh, of the tent. I got chills. And see, like you can still see their skis that they had been using <gasps> to like do ASMR their hiking. Night- nightmare ASMR. Nightmare ASMR. Their I shoes are still inside. Their camera is still inside, which we'll get to later oh my God, about what? what's on the camera or what's get to in. it. Okay. I'm, okay. I'm hooked now. Next to the tent, the search party can clearly see nine sets of footprints. So all of the people that were in the tent, they have located their footprints in the snow leading away from the tent. The weird part about this is clearly they were in a hurry because they slashed out of their tent instead of just using the zipper. But the footprints all demonstrate that they were very calmly walking together away from the tent. And the creepiest part is that these footprints, some of them are barefoot in negative 22 degrees Fahrenheit weather in a blizzard, barefoot or only socks. And one of the set of footprints only has one shoe. So one guy had one shoe on. So it was a hurry to get out. And then, and then once they're out, they're very calmly walking away from the tent in a fucking blizzard, not fully dressed. Because there's, like, clothes inside the tent still and, like, sh- and a ton of shoes. And the, some of the footprints are barefoot. So the search party, yeah, sees these footprints, sees that some are barefoot, sees that some are only wearing socks. And they're weirded out, obviously. But they're also, like, okay, the fact that these footprints don't look like, like, there's no tossed up snow. There's no, like, it's very clear that they were methodically walking because you can see every part of the footprint. So it's not like they were running. How was there snow on top of the tent, but there's no snow on top of the footprint? Right? The footprints are still there, still clearly visible. It's weird. It's a blizzard. There's Maybe there was, like an, like, an avalanche type thing that, like, fell on top of the tent and they were, like... They, they were panicked, like, oh, my God, what do we do? But if it were an avalanche, like, look at, that's not very much snow. Yeah, but if you're sleeping inside the tent and all of a sudden the tent caves in on you, you're probably fucking freaked out and you're going to cut out of it. But then but why would you not turn back around and try to fix it? Right, and why would you? Why would your gut reaction be to slash a hole something in your call, tent? Something was calling to them. Maybe. Maybe we'll find something out that that's what happened. Them. Did okay. they all separate? But Okay, but the search party's still optimistic because they're like, these are really experienced hikers. Maybe something happened to the tent, but they could still be alive out here in a snow cave because yeah. there are caves and these these people have they wilderness survival training. Yes. Yeah. So they start following these footprints to see where they lead. They lead away from the campsite. And then after maybe about like 800 feet, the footprints have been covered in snow. So they're like, okay, well, we're not really sure, but we think it's going in this general direction. So they follow these footprints and the general direction to the edge of that wooded area we talked about earlier when we were like, why wouldn't they just go back down to that wooded area? So the footprints lead over there. And at the edge of the wooded area, they could see the remains of a small campfire. And it's at the base of a tree. 
And the tree is a cedar tree. And the only reason why I'm saying that is so that we can like mark these spots later when we're talking about them. So there's a makeshift campfire that's already been burned out at the foot of a cedar tree. They go up to this campfire and next to it, there are two bodies. The bodies of Yuri Krevenoshenko, and that's the guy that was like the class clown guy I was telling you about. And they're only with the one, big ears. They're only one day's hike away from the city, right? Um, they're probably like a week into their journey oh, at this point. Yeah. But I was thinking if they wanted to turn around, they could have. They could have. Yeah. I and mean, how many days do you think it would have taken them to get back? I mean, a week, but okay, they could have. No. Okay, so that's the guy with the big ears is dead by the campfire, and so is. Yuri Doroshenko, the guy who I said kind of looks like Steve, the one that scared the bear away with the hammer. I know. And he's like super brave, super like has a lot of experience. So this is their bodies. Now, the creepy thing about their bodies is that they're both shoeless and dressed only in their underwear. Who would cut their way out of a tent and calmly walk in their underwear in negative 22 degrees Fahrenheit into a forest? People, someone who had... Someone who had hypothermia or something. They, ha- You know, like people when they climb Everest, they go crazy and like take off all their clothes. Right, because they feel really hot. Yeah. Okay, but we'll talk about why I don't think that's possible in a minute. But also this big cedar tree that they're under, um, the search party is inspecting it and they notice that there are freshly broken tree branches up to 16 feet high above where the bodies are found. So maybe someone had tried to climb it to get away from something or maybe, maybe they tried to climb it to see where the tent was. Or maybe they tried to climb it to get uh, firewood? No? I don't think so. Because, like, these aren't... The wood that they used is not the same wood that is the branches that have been knocked down from someone climbing it. So it could have been a bear. Could Well, I don't know if bears are in this area. I didn't maybe look it up. Maybe they calmly walked because they didn't want to run from whatever it was because then it's... what Like, if it's, like, a mountain lion or something and they're running. They don't have mountain lions up there, though. Okay, well, whatever bear or whatever. Yeah. If it's a bear, then they're like, they are have wilderness survival training. And they're like, okay, if we just stay all next to each other and we look like a big object, then we're going to be safer. Okay. But they're all, they're all like separated from each other. Look, I 100% UFOs, uh, you know, a naked lady with blonde glowing hair, you know. Lured them away. Lured them yeah. away. Yeah. A siren. But I'm just for the normies out there who are listening to this and having the thoughts that I'm having. I'm just bouncing these off. Okay. Got it. All right. So the search party continues searching the area and between the cedar pine and the campsite, they find three more bodies. Igor Dyatlov, the leader of the hiking expedition, was found 300 meters from the cedar tree. Zenaida, the hot girl uh, mm-hmm. that everyone had a crush on, she was found 480 meters from the cedar tree. And Rustin, the guy with the Asian name that you liked, mm-hmm. um, was found 630 meters from the cedar tree. All of them were posed as if they had been trying to make it back to their tent. And the creepy part about these bodies is later when um, the medical examiner is looking at these three bodies in particular, the ones that were trying to make it back to the tent, two of these bodies had been moved post-mortem. Because they could tell from the lividity of where they had, like, what position they had died in. They mm. had died on their backs. And when they were found, they were on their stomachs. So here is Igor. Here's his body. So he's still on his back. He hadn't been moved. Do you see that's his head? Oh, yeah. Okay. That's one of the other ones. I don't remember which one. I think that's the Nida. And that's the last body. Okay. 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 If there's really low visibility and they're, like, all together holding hands and then they get separated from each other and they just can't find their way back to the tent and they freeze to death. Right. But the whole point is like, why even get out of the tent? That's your only lifeline. Bear. Okay. So you think bear so far? I think animal. Okay. I think there's an animal or 
Yeah. Or like maybe there was a, maybe they like knocked over like a fire in the tent, like a kerosene lamp or something like that. Okay. That's a good hypothesis. And they're like, were burnt, like burning, you know? Oh, yeah. And they're, so they're trying to get out really quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it would be two more months before the remaining four members of the expedition would be found. Simeon, Nikolai, Ludmilla, and Alexander. They were finally found on May 4th, 1959, under 13 feet of snow in a ravine about 246 feet further into the woods from the cedar tree. So basically the opposite of what Igor and the hot girl and the other, the Asian name guy had done, they did the opposite. They went further into the forest. And these four were better dressed than the others. Um, Simeon was wearing Dubonina, the um, communist girl. He was wearing her fur coat and hat. The girl that died? Um, She's in the ravine with him. Oh. Yeah. But so maybe she so died first. Out, yeah, he outlived her. Yeah. So maybe she died first and then he took her clothes. And then Dubonina, she actually had a piece a piece of pants that were later linked to one of the guys that died under the cedar tree. So maybe they were all under the cedar tree. And as people were dying, some people decided to try to go back to the tent and other people went the opposite direction yeah. and like took people's clothes with them. Okay. So here is the communist girl. So she's on a rock. That's a rock right there, and she died on her knees. So she's on her knees against a rock. Oh, my God. Okay. Cuddling for warmth. Mm-hmm. And then here are the other three together in the ravine. You know I fucking love this shit. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, like, trying to be respectful because I know that these are people who died. But the creepiness of it. And this has been enough time has passed that we can be fascinated by this. You know, this happened in the 50s. Yeah. So there's all three of them huddled together. And they're in a creek? They're in um, oh, I guess a the ravine. Oh, the snow is melted. Yeah, the, the snow, snow is, melted is melted at this now, point. So it looks like they're in a creek. Right, okay. yeah. And I just want to reiterate, the tent is the only shelter for days and days, and it's their only lifeline. And they didn't even unzip it or, like, untie it or whatever. They, they took out a knife and slashed their way out. So all we know at this point is that something happened to the hikers between the time that Yuri, the guy with the health conditions, turned back and February 26th when they were found. So something caused them to slash their way out of their tent and calmly walk in various states of undress down a mountain in a blizzard in negative 22 degrees Fahrenheit where they made a campfire. Two people stayed at the campfire and died. Three people tried to go back to the tent and died on the way. And four people went deeper into the woods and either fell into the ravine or climbed down the ravine and died there. So as they're like looking more into this, at this point the government's involved Mm -hmm. um, and they're looking into these deaths. And they discover that in that ravine, those people that were in the ravine actually made a makeshift shelter. So one of the theories that we'll talk about later is people are like, oh, well, clearly, like, these people were just walking, trying to find shelter, and they fell into this ravine, and they died there. But that doesn't really hold up, because if they had just fallen in and died, then they they wouldn't have made a shelter. So the legal inquest is ongoing. A medical examination is conducted of the first five bodies, so the two people that were at the campfire and then the three that had tried to go back. And the medical examiner says that these five people have no injuries at all that would have contributed to their deaths. It's just hypothermia. It's just hypothermia. They just died of hypothermia. And Slobodin was the only hiker out of the group uh, of these five that had any injury at all, but it wasn't fatal. He had a small crack in his skull, but that didn't, that's not what killed him. It's the hypothermia that did. Small crack in his skull. So something hit his head. Yeah. Something hit his head. Um, and the crack was determined to have occurred prior to his death, not after. So it occurred before he died. There were like signs of healing in the crack, the showing that he was still alive, like his blood still pumping, but he died of hypothermia, not the crack. I bet like whatever 
hit him or something was in the tent. Yeah, it could have been like maybe a fight or something. Yeah, maybe they were fighting over the pretty girl. Maybe. So once the other four bodies in the ravine are found, the medical examination reveals that these bodies were way worse off than the other five. Three out of four of these hikers had fatal injuries. Uh, Tebow had major skull damage. Debanina and Zolotaryov had major chest fractures. The medical examiner said that these injuries were consistent with a car crash and would require considerable force to achieve. Notably, the bodies had no external wounds associated with these bone fractures, as if they had been subjected to a high level of pressure instead of blunt force trauma. So that's why they're saying consistent with like a car crash, like, you know, when you have your, um, what, what's it called? Your seatbelt. Yeah. And like you, like the force is enough to break something. Right. Just against the seatbelt. Mm-hmm. There was like a, a fight or something like that between these two groups of people and like the one group that has more injuries is like all right well fuck that other group like let's go in this ravine like I don't want to talk to them anymore they're saying that a punch or a hit or being struck by something would not have caused the injury that it would have to be just a great amount of pressure okay I know so it's something that a human couldn't do right yes they that and that's exactly what the medical examiner says that these injuries were not caused by a human Mm -hmm. so now we're getting deeper so the only external injuries were found on Dubanina, the communist chick, and she was missing. Are you ready for it? Yeah. She's missing her tongue, both eyes, part of her lips. Oh, my God. UFOs. A piece of her skull and some facial tissue. And she also had skin maceration on her hands. And I had to look that up. It's Wait, where... Are these- was one of the campers in an, in an effort to survive eating these parts of her body? Because those are the only parts that no, they could eat? No, they were not found in the stomachs. We're going to talk about the stomach contents. And they found no body parts in anybody's stomach. <gasps> UFOs. Yeah, that's what I think. But we'll talk about that in a minute. But yeah, so she had skin maceration, which is when the skin turns white because it's been wet for a long period of time. And so because of that, the medical examiner sort of speculated that well maybe she was like in a creek for a while while she was dead and that that's why like the tongue is gone and like the soft tissues are gone but then if you look at that photo I showed you she's literally on a rock in the snow when they find her yeah she's kneeling up against a rock so it's like she's trying to shade herself away yeah she's like trying to protect herself later at the funerals of the nine hikers some attendees reported that the skin of all of the hikers had a deep brown or orange tan and that some of them had white or gray hair. These are kids in their early 20s that did not have, like I showed you those pictures. They all have like dark hair, except for that one girl has blonde hair. I had a couple grades when I was like 19, but not like. But not like all over. And no. you didn't have like orange skin. So orange skin. yeah, like these are white people and their skin is like supposedly, according to these people that went Super to the funeral. Tanned. So like, it's like they've been. They've been exposed. exposed to like UV light. Yeah, or like radiation or something. The medical examiner determines that out of all these nine, six died of hypothermia. The other three died of fatal injuries. And there were no indications of other people nearby on dead mountains. Because, you know, you could see all of those tracks in the snow so clearly. That's how they found the bodies. No other tracks around. Like no animal tracks. No um, other human footprints. Other than the searchers, there were no other tracks around that tent. The only thing that might have been external is whatever was up in the tree, in the cedar tree. Right. And that, and then they think that was probably one of the guys that was trying to find the tent through the blizzard, like climbing up to see if he could find the tent again. 
the, they look at their stomach contents and the victims had died six to eight hours after their last meal. And the girl whose tongue was missing in her stomach mixed with the food is a bunch of blood. So they think she bit her tongue. maybe her tongue came off prior to dying and that she was like ingesting all of that blood hit towards a UFO that the medical examiner says that those three hikers who died from fatal injuries could not have been, this is a direct quote from the medical examiner could not have been injured by another human because the force of the blows had been too strong and no soft tissue had been damaged. There's why somebody died and then the way that they caused them to die. So the cause of death for a lot of them is hypothermia. And then the other three is fatal injuries. The manner of death, how that happened is um, the coroner puts an unknown compelling force that caused the hikers to leave their campsite. And traces of radioactivity are found on at least two of the hikers' clothing. <gasps> and there's traces of radioactivity around the campsite, but not all of the um, campers had radioactivity on them, only two but wait did. wait a second. Ear got, the rheumatoid arthritis guy had gotten into some radioactive testing in the past, right? So I'm glad you pointed that out. It wasn't that guy it was the other Yuri that had worked at a radioactive place and then it had he had been a cleanup crew but that happened like five years prior and um, they were saying it would be really really unlikely for him to have worn hiking clothes during the cleanup they did provide like suits for them to wear and then for him to wear those exact same hiking clothes five years later but it, it wouldn't like get radioactive material wouldn't get into your bloodstream or something. I'm not a scientist. Maybe, but it know. wasn't, they didn't find it in his body. They found it on his clothes. This is UFOs. I know. And then the girl, the communist girl was the other one that had radioactivity on her. This is UFOs or this is the government. Could, which is yeah, could to be. me the same thing. Right. And soon it's discovered that the hikers had been documenting their experience in journals and with a camera <gasps> for the whole trip. Yes. So let's, Tell me. let's look at the journal entries after Yuri left because Yuri has already told us what went on. So January 28th, there's an entry by Debanina and she says, we were awakened. Weather is perfect. It is only negative eight degrees Celsius outside. After breakfast, some of the guys headed by Yudin our well-known geologist went to look for local minerals. They didn't find anything except pyrite and quartz vein in the rocks. Spend some time with skis, fixed and adjusted the mounting. Yudin now goes back home. It is a pity, of course, that he leaves us, but nothing can be done about it. We go up the river. We take turns to head the group for about 10 minutes. Depth of snow cover is significantly less than last year. Often we have to stop and scrape the wet, smel melting snow from our skis. Yurka Cree... I guess that's a nickname for one of them. I don't know which one it is, is behind. And he makes sketches of the route. We pass few cliffs on the right bank of the river. Overall, the terrain becomes flatter. We stop at 5.30 p.m. Today, we spend our first night in the tent. The guys are busy with the stove. With something completed and others not, we sit for a dinner. After dinner, we sit around the campfire and sing beautiful songs. Zena even tries to learn how to play mandolin under the guidance of our musician, Rustem Slobodin. Then again, we resume our discussions, mostly about love. Someone comes up with an idea that we need a special notebook for ideas we might come up with. Once we are done, we are making our way inside the tent. Nobody wants to sleep by the stove. And we agree that Yurka Cree will sleep there. Yuri moves to the second compartment with terrible cursing and accusations that we have betrayed him. We can't fall asleep for a while and arguing about something. Okay, so that's the day that 
the guy with the health problems leaves. Second day of our trip, we made our way from the river to the River Ospi. We walked along a Mansi Trail, which is that native tribe. A Mansi Trail. The weather is negative 13 degrees Celsius, so it's getting colder. The wind is weak. We often find ice on the river. That is it. So that's an entry by Tebow. Then the next day, January 30th, diary is written on the cold on the go. Today is a third cold night on the shore of Ospi River. The stove does a great job. Some think we need to construct steam heat in the tent. The curtains hung in the tent are quite justified. I don't know what that means. We get up at 8.30 a.m. After breakfast, we walk along the Ospi River, but again, these ice dams do not allow us to move forward. Let's go to the shore of the Sledge Deer Trail. In the middle of the road, the discovered markings left by the Mansi tribe. So there's photos of these markings that they found. Mansi are people of the north, very interesting and unique people that inhabit the north polar Urals close to the Taiman region. They have a written language and leave characteristic signs on forest trees. And then they make a note about the weather. Weather, temperature. That's what they think. They think that these are the indigenous people, but little do they know. Little do they know. It might be aliens. Temperature in the morning is between negative 17 degrees Celsius and negative 13 degrees Celsius during the day and minus 26 degrees Celsius at night. The wind is strong. The clouds are thick. The temperature characteristic of the northern Urals. Mansi signs tell about animals they saw, resting stops, and other things. It is particularly interesting to solve its meaning for the tourists as well as historians. Deer trail is over. The forest gradually thins out and gets shorter. Lots of dwarf birches and pines. It is impossible to walk on the river. It is not frozen anymore. We have to look for solid ground. Day wore on and we started to look for a place. That's the stop for the night. Strong west winds. It knocks the snow off the cedar and pine trees, creating the impression of falling snow. As always, we start a fire and put a tent on the spruce branches. We are warmed by the fire and go to sleep. January 31st, the next day. Today, the weather is a bit worse than the wind. Snow, because the sky is perfectly clear. Came out relatively early, around 10 a.m., took the same beaten Mansi Trail. So far, we walked along the Mansi Trail, which was passed by a deer hunter not long ago. We met his resting stop yesterday, apparently. Today was surprisingly good accommodations for the tent. Air is warm and dry, despite the low temperature of negative 24 degrees Celsius. The walking is especially hard today. Visibility is very low. We walk about one mile per hour. We are forced to find new methods of clearing the path for the skis. The first member leaves his bag on the ground and walks forward. Then he returns, rests for 15 minutes. Thus, we have a nonstop paving of the trail. It is especially hard for the second to move down the new trail with full gear on the back. We gradually leave the Ospi Valley. The rise is continuous but quite smooth. We spend a night at the forest boundary. Wind is western warm, penetrating. Snow-free spaces. We can't leave any of our provisions to ease the ascent to the mountains. About 4 p.m., we must choose the place for the tent. Wind, some snow. Snow cover is 1.22 meters thick. Tired and exhausted, we start to prepare the platform for the tent. Firewood is not enough. We didn't dig a hole for the fire. Too tired for that. We had supper right in the tent. It's hard to imagine such a comfort somewhere on the ridge with a piercing wind hundreds of kilometers away from human settlements. And that's the last um, record in the diary. And that was by Igor. So they were too tired to go back down to the clearing. Right, much. basically. So the next day is when they set up their tent on that dead mountain. Mm-hmm. And this is the, they took a photo of themselves setting the tent up on dead mountain. Very so, bad visibility. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. That stuff they're wearing is so creepy. Yeah. And so they're setting up the tent. And then the very last photo later that night, they take another photo. What do you think? What does that look like to you? Mm, blurry? 
It looks like something it's it's dark right because it's nighttime and then there's something bright yeah but they they took a picture of it so it was something of interest right right right. and it kind of looks to me like an orb or something like a couple of orbs to me i guess i'm just more whoa that's weird yeah to me i'm more just looking at it and thinking okay if they got out the camera it's cold as hell it's hard it's like it's not like our phones like oh let me just get a camera and take a picture like it's hard to take pictures right because you're taking pictures with a film and you have to do like the f-stop and all that stuff so whatever it was that they were taking a picture of they they were like we need to take a picture of this exactly that's what i'm thinking too and especially because this is film photography so if you're going to take a picture of something it has to be noteworthy it's going to take effort and you're going to run out of film like every picture you take is another one you can't take right? right so this had to be something that they were interested in right so they're interested in something that the camera is not necessarily picking up and we know it's at nighttime. Otherwise they, they would have known to use different F-stop or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They, through analysis, they could tell that this picture was taken at night. And also, so going back to when, um, the time they think that they exited the tent after, cause we know from their entry that they ate dinner, right? The entry mm-hmm. in the journal. So when they look at the time that they ate dinner, which was around like 5 PM or something, five or 6 PM, um, they can tell that the food had been in their stomach for about six to eight hours prior to dying. So like eight hours after they ate, six to eight hours after they ate, they died. They died right around midnight. Mm -hmm. Which is kind of witchy. That's very witchy. Okay, so now we're going to get into the theories. Some people think it was a Yeti, which in Russia is called a Menk. Other people think that the Mansi natives attacked them. Other people think there was an avalanche or at least maybe they thought they heard an avalanche and got scared and like cut their way out of the tent and started running. And then when they realized that there was no avalanche, they tried to make their way back. Right. But low visibility. Right. Other people think aliens, which I'm going to talk about in a second. Other people think it was a military cover up because this is around the time that um, Russia, like we just talked about, is trying to launch things into space. Yeah. And so maybe the military was nearby. Maybe it was maybe they stumbled into like their version of our Area 51. Right. A fire is another one of the theories people have because they did have that stove and they had um, in some of the pictures. But they would be able to see from the tent and stuff that there was a fire. They would find I know, right? Evidence. Yeah. One of the contraptions they were using to keep warm, one of the guys there had invented because these are all engineering students. Mm-hmm. And so this stove is how they made their food and also sometimes how they kept warm at night if they couldn't build a fire. And so they would put it inside the tent and they would so have the exhaust exploded. pipe. So people think that because sometimes they would have the exhaust pipe going through the roof of the tent. Okay, well, what if, you know, they were trying to put out the fire for the night and some ashes got inside the tent or it got really smoky and they panicked and they just tore their way out of the tent. If that were the case, when they found the tent, there would be like remnants of the black smoke on the roof. You know, like when a house burns down, this like it takes fucking forever to clean up that shit because of all the black smoke that stains the walls and the roof. Right. Um, And or there would have been burn marks in the tent and there were no and burn they marks in the tent. And they wouldn't have left the tent. And they wouldn't have... They would have tried to repair it. Yeah, they would have tried to repair it and they wouldn't have ran so far away and they also wouldn't have, like, cut out of the tent. If, if it's just smoke or a little bit of embers, then they could very easily have just opened the tent the normal way and left. Well, if we're going to play devil's advocate, maybe they were like, okay, we need to go get wood since now our heat contraption is messed up. We need to go to this where this woods are to get wood. But barefoot though, like they left their shoes and a lot of their heavy coats inside the tent and they, it didn't burn down. The tent wasn't burned. Right. 
So I, that's yeah, why that I think it doesn't sense. make You're sense. Right. But maybe they thought something was on fire and panicked. I don't know. But I, they still, even if it was a fire, they wouldn't have gone without their shoes. They're too smart. Exactly. Yeah, that's it what I think. It was something that made them scared. So here is an argument for the aliens. There were other hiking groups, not on that particular path, but in different areas, um, sort of in the same region. And there was also the Mansi tribe in that same region, but not in the same path. Um, so very far away from those people, but still within the same region. And they reported there was at least two other hiking groups and one Mansi tribesman that reported seeing lights in the sky on the night that these hikers died. Mm. Like orbs in the sky. <gasps> aliens. So some people, so for the people that think it's aliens, they're like, well, it's fucking UFO. And yeah. that explains the radioactivity. Right. For the people, the right. For the people that think it was a military cover-up or a government cover-up, they're saying, well, the government, this is proof. The government was testing, you know, stuff in that but area. Why, why take the girl's eye, bur- like the eye and the tongue and all that? That Why would the military do that? Well, some people think that she lost those things naturally from like d- natural decay or like the wetness of the snow around her. Or like I said, some people think she died in a creek, even though in that picture she's not in a creek. Um, and yeah, but medic- the medical should be able to tell if the eyes were removed or if they decayed. Like they'd be right. able to tell. Well, the medical examiner said that their only explanation they could come up with was that those items got wet and decayed. Oh. But how does your tongue, the only, she you know what I mean? Off. Maybe she bit it and, off. And why did she have blood in her stomach? That's what I want to know. Like, Maybe. what? what's the alternative for why she had human blood in her stomach? The chattering of her teeth or, like, she went through her tongue. Was she one that had the crazy pressure bo- on her body? Because it could have been whatever the pressure caused her to bite her tongue off. Well, and then the other thing is, how do we explain that pressure? And so some people have said maybe because they were found buried under snow, maybe they were actually buried under snow prior to dying and that the pressure of the snow is what caused those internal injuries. And then some people think, no, they just straight up fell down the ravine. Like an avalanche? Yeah. Right, but then they have the shelter, so that doesn't... The last explanation is the most recent explanations a scientist came up with this a couple of years ago i want to say so it's fairly recent some people think that this is because of carmen vortex street infrasound carmen vortex street infrasound is the result of an unusual wind pattern which causes uneasiness terror and illness in humans infrasound okay straight up sounds like ghosts yeah right you're you're talking about an invisible force of wind that causes people to get scared and like freak out for no reason like it causes mental temporary mental illness and hysteria yeah how is that any different from haunting i was reading this and i was like oh okay that makes a lot of sense let me go to youtube and see what this infrasound sounds like Nobody has ever recorded an infrasound before this particular kind. It's just a hypothesis. So like nobody's ever actually documented, like recorded what this crazy sound sounds like that makes people go nuts. It's it's so it's Skrillex. Yeah. (laughs) Kind of. They were playing dubstep. Yeah. They're playing. It was futurist. The aliens came down and just played dubstep. Yeah. It was like. They time warped to EDC Vegas 2012. Uh, yeah. And like they just couldn't. <laughs> and they saw it. us. They saw us there. They saw us. They cut out of the tent. They uh, were like, fuck this. They right, saw a vision of us at EDC they in had 2012. No, they had no clothes on. That's why. Yeah. They were like, oh, I want to join the rave. Let me take my clothes off. Like, 
they're like oh cool these little gloves have lights on them Uh, yeah like let's just die (laughs) (laughs) so infrasound is a low frequency sound it's below the limit of human hearing oh i didn't read that before so maybe that's why nobody has a recording of it oh okay um so it's like dogs it's like a dog noise (laughs) well okay so it was discovered in the 1960s, supposedly, by this guy, Vladimir Gavro, a Russian-born French scientist. And his laboratory assistants began to complain of earache and sickness while they were doing um, different experiments with um, air vibration. And he decided that it was because microscopic airwaves were being projected from a faulty fan. And that's the feeling, while the noise cannot be heard, caused panic, fear, confusion, and sickness. Well, this is like an awesome military tool. So some people think, okay, the military, this is the middle of the Cold War. They're experimenting with like different torture devices. What if they were um, experimenting with something with sound waves and these kids just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time, heard these sound waves, and went nuts? Yeah, well, rheumatoid arthritis dude, like, he felt the pressure. I mean, his body literally felt it. Well, but he has he has rheumatism, so, like, he always had joy. Does he have rheumatism or is his body psychic? Maybe both. Maybe people with pre-existing conditions are just psychic. They're manifesting. Yeah. Right. That's, That's what right. I think. I think so, too. You have a heart attack because your body is transported to somebody who's freaking out in another part of the world in another dimension. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So to recap, these are the theories. Fire, Yeti, Mansi native attack, avalanche, aliens, military cover-up, Carmen Vortex street infrasound. What is your favorite out of all of these theories? What do you think happened? Well, because they're, what do I think happened? I think it's aliens. Yeah. Yeah. I think. Well, and all these people reporting orbs, right? They took a photo of an orb. Yeah. Like all these people in, in that region were reporting glowing lights in the sky. Right. I think it's aliens. I don't think that the military. Mm, I don't know. Wait. The Yeti is another. The Yeti to me. Yeti to me and aliens are pretty much the same thing. Yeah. Because it's some it's paranormal. Some, right. It's some scary thing. That's what I think happened. I think something scared these people out of their tent. Yeah, totally. I agree. Something scared them to the point of slashing their tent open and their tent is as soon as they slashed their tent open, they had to know they were dead because that was their only, they left all their supplies behind. It was their only form of shelter. Yeah, they didn't have clothes. Yeah. And if it, no matter what, if it was a fire and even in low visibility or whatever, after they slashed out of the tent, they would have been able to find it because it would have been on fire. Yeah. It would have been on fire. And also if, if it was on fire, then that would surely be in the notes of the investigation because that's like the easiest explanation. Oh, they caught their tent on fire. Right. You know, I I don't know that it's a Yeti though, because these, I feel like these Mansi people probably know, no more. Like we need to research them and figure out if they have folklore, like mythology of, you know, like some supernatural beast or being whatever it is. Like the Menk, the Yeti. I think that because it's dead mountain and nothing grows there Mm -hmm. and, um, because nothing grows there is because it's probably like a portal. Ooh, that's a good yeah, theory too. And it's got high energy, high vibrations. And it's, it. so maybe it's a combination like the Carmen Vortex street infrasound is real there. Right. Because it's like this really weird dead mountain that like nothing good can happen on. So it just has like all of these elements in it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that 
like wormholes and portals and stuff like that like they it has like a very high frequency high energy that's radiating from there and that's why like people report seeing crazy stuff because it's like you know dimensions are uh, like opening opening or or closing or you know the space of time and whatever the is like getting warped something's happening there right So I'll just tell you what, what like the normie side of the internet believes is that there was an avalanche or they thought they heard an avalanche and panicked and left, like slashed their way out. That's what I thought too, because if the cedar trees or whatever are like uh, snow is falling from them and giving people the, um, she said in the notebook, it seems like there's snow falling because the wind is blowing stuff off the trees. Right. If it's a crazy blizzard, like wind could blow a big solid piece of ice into their, like at their tent. Sure. Yeah. And maybe if it was ice, maybe it got blown off of their tent after they left. And that's why when they found the tent and only had a little bit of snow on it might be what caused the pressure that, um, got those people like a car wreck type thing. Oh, that's true. Yeah. So snow happens there. They leave the, that's what I can't figure out though, is they leave the tent without the shoes. Yes. See, and and they're all grade two certified. They know that. For wilderness survival, fucking ski hiking. This is not something new. They had gone on so many, like I was reading off to you some of their accolades. One guy literally scared a bear off. Like he doesn't yeah. give a shit. The other girl got bit by a viper and continued carrying her own pack for the duration of the expedition that she was on. Like these people were not new to this. And, and one guy on the trip, so most of these people, people were in their early 20s, um, university students, or had just graduated. They actually had one guy on the trip that was in his 30s, and he was already a grade three. The normal explanations, like an avalanche or something like that, as soon as they get, or a fire, as soon as they get out of their tent and realize that there's not an avalanche and there's not a fire, because remember, they weren't running away from the tent. They were walking calmly according to the tracks that they found. Yeah, they're probably holding hands so they don't get separated. So, but as soon as they realize that they're not in immediate danger you think that they would turn immediately around not walk a mile and get their shoes at least you know get their shoes and their coats like there's no reason for them to walk a mile walk calmly a mile downhill away from their tent after realizing that they're not in immediate danger what do you think it was i don't know i think carmen vortex street infrasound is really interesting but that's a haunting to me yeah that's like a haunting to me too something supernatural that we're trying to explain using science but can't be explained yes the science of a haunting is that it's particles because we're all particles well and but the radioactivity makes me think of alien crafts or um military crafts and especially coupled with people seeing bright lights above the sky in that area like i agree with you there's a reason why the mountain is called dead mountain and whether that's because of this is the one place in Russia where there's the Carmen Vortex Street infrasound and it causes people to go crazy or whether it's because of, you know, some paranormal thing or like aliens go there. Like there's a reason that it's called Dead Mountain. It's not just because stuff doesn't grow there or stuff doesn't grow there for a reason because it's fucking haunted. What I want to know from our listeners is what you guys think happened. Well, well let us know what you guys think. Let's get haunted. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you didn't like. We don't care. <laughs> We're going to do it this way again. <laughs> Give us some suggestions. We may or may not follow them. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure to follow us on social media. Yes. Please uh, interact with us. Uh, we need this. <laughs> we need this real bad. Um, but also, 
we don't have like a logo yet or anything or a catchphrase or a slogan or a theme song. So if any creative or, people out there or a sponsor, fuck the creative oh, yeah. people. Let's get the rich people. <laughs> in. If you are rich and or creative and want to contribute in any way to this podcast in a way that like doesn't make us feel weird then let us know. Just so everyone knows, the equipment that we're using, we borrowed from someone else, so we don't have anything. Should we credit him for letting us borrow that? Yeah. Actually, my good friend Derek, you can check out his podcast, Bad Travel Podcast. He hooked us up with these microphones and stuff. And we're recording with GarageBand, so... We're recording with GarageBand on my Mac. So we're doing this real bootleg, and we hope that you appreciate it. I hope the sound isn't too shitty. All right. Thanks, guys. Let's get haunted.